You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 76. Well, welcome back. I'm Gavin Weber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheese making at home. I'm trying a bit of an experiment this week. I'm actually videoing the podcast, so I'm recording while I am doing the audio version as well. Now, hopefully I won't have many visual cues, but you'll get to see what it looks like when I am recording my podcast. Anyway, some exciting cheese news uh, this week, uh, besides the stuff that I normally do, I made my very first no, oh, probably not the first, maybe the second fantastic blue cheese ever. Now, those who watched the videos would have remembered that I made a farmhouse cheddar blue about three months ago. And uh, the weekend just gone past, I cracked it open and had a great taste test. And it was absolutely fantastic. The marbling that you normally see, the uh, paste was uh, creamy and smooth, but very similar to what a cheddar is normally. You know, those young sort of cheddars you get uh, three to six months. And the marbling of the blue all the way through it was absolutely fantastic. The look and the taste, it just, the whole combination just blew my mind. So that was a recipe I created myself. Uh, and you will see the taste test come out. Uh, very soon, I think it's this Friday, um, the current day I'm recording is the 3rd of July 2018. So go and check that out. Have a look at the original uh, blue, sorry, farmhouse cheddar blue video and you'll see how I made the cheese. There's a link to it in the taste test anyway. So when you pop over to cheeseman.tv, you'll see the, uh, when the video comes out, of course, you'll see the taste test. Okay, let's get on with the news. The headline is Japan's cheesemakers to get aid amid EU imports. Uh, so this is from the Japan News. I think it's a kind of a blog sort of thing. So I'll just read it out. The Agriculture, Forest and Fisheries Ministry will embark on measures to support the production of natural cheese made entirely in Japan as imports of cheese products from Europe are expected to increase once the Japanese-Euro Union Economic Partnership Agreement takes place, according to sources. As for lactic bacteria, lactic acid bacteria, which plays a key role in cheese making, the nation has relied on those from overseas – but the ministry intends to help with research on lactic acid bacteria that are indigenous to Japan. It will also study processing methods suitable to the climate of the country. These efforts are aimed at domestic, domestically produced flavourful aromatic cheese. The move is aimed at countering cheese products made in Europe which have strong brand presence ahead of the plan effectuation of the Japan-EU EPA, the sources said. So basically the rest of the story goes on to say that, uh, yeah, so there's a, a trade 
agreement coming into play. So I'll just read another little section here. It says, currently Japan imposes an import tariff of 29.8% on natural cheese. Regarding the Japanese EU EPA, which is expected to take place in early 2019, both sides have agreed to set up a low-tariff import quota for some European products, which will be expanding gradually in the future. So basically, Japan, very much like Australia actually, import all of their cheese-making cultures, um, all of the uh, direct vat inoculated ones, the freeze-dried ones, that uh, home cheese makers are probably quite used to. So Japan doesn't have any native uh, lactic acid bacteria that they produce themselves, so they're going to start making some of their own. So that's very interesting how uh, trade agreements uh, lead uh, countries into producing something that they've never produced before, what they have to produce. Very similar to the ban that uh, Russia put on all of European cheese imports. So a whole bunch of um, Russian cheese producers have popped up making their own sorts of cheeses and having to make their own lactic bacteria or to use raw milk and and get the flavour from that. So, yeah, very interesting. I will put the link to the story in the show notes. So let's get on with some cheese-making questions. Now, these are voicemails sent in uh, every week by people who, like you and me, uh, want to learn about cheese-making and have burning questions. So they send them over to me via my website, littlegreencheese.com, and uh, you get to hear them on the show here. Anyway, let's get on with the first one. This one's from Phil. Hi, Gavin. It's Phil Camerata from Lakewood, New York. I just received my cultures from you uh, that I ordered a couple of weeks ago, and I'm very excited to start my double brie. However, tomorrow I am going to be trying to um, create your raclette. We just got back from France, and we enjoyed the raclette there. And uh, so we're very excited to try your, uh, your recipe. Uh, tomorrow night. I'm going to buy, um, in New York State, we cannot buy uh, raw milk, uh, but I'm going to be trying your recipe with raw milk. Uh, I think it's two and a half uh, gallons or a little bit more than two and a half gallons. Um, But my question for you tonight is, how in the world can I get my cheese cave, which is a converted wine cooler, set to the lowest degree of 56 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, I can only get the, uh, the, the, when I put the cheese in the um, refrigerator, um, I can only get it to about 70% humidity. And you're asking for it to be, you know, almost 90%. <clears throat> so I'm putting it just on the, um, the, 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 the mat. Uh, without the the ripening uh, box. But if I buy the ripening box, will that get it to, well, first of all, will it mold in there faster without being, with it being sealed? And will that prevent or will that get the temperature or the humidity to the 90%? So I'm really looking for a video on uh, the cheese ripening uh, ingredients or, you know, the best cheese caves 
Um, so if you could let me know, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Can't wait to hear from you. No probs, Phil. Thank you very much for your question. Now, I don't know if you haven't listened to the podcast or um, or don't watch some of the things that I do on the uh, Cheese Channel. Um, what I use to increase the humidity is that I use the ripening boxes. So wine coolers themselves are don't have any humidity in them. They have little fans that suck all the moisture out and it's a very dry little container. So what you need to do is you need to isolate each cheese and you isolate them uh, using ripening boxes. And you'll find that the moisture drops into uh, underneath the mat in the ripening box and creates humidity as it evaporates. Now, I've had a hygrometer in the, in the ripening box uh, and I've had it sitting between 85 and 90% relative humidity just from the moisture that uh, just comes out of the cheese. So that's why um, most of my cheeses are quite successful because I don't rely on increasing the humidity in the entire fridge. I just do it for that individual cheese. So that's the best way um, for home cheese makers to increase the humidity in their cheese cave. Now, if you find that the uh, box is fairly dry and there's no moisture in it, then all you have to do is get some paper towel um, and just uh, have that soaked in a little bit of water so it's moist and you put it underneath the cheese mat and the humidity there will keep it trapped in. And because you're going to be turning the cheese, most of the... Uh, uh, especially the uh, washed rind cheeses, for the first couple of weeks anyway, you have to turn them every day and wash them every second day usually, you're letting enough oxygen back into that ripening box for the cheese and the bacteria to uh, and the moulds to develop um, around the cheese, especially, as you mentioned, raclette. You've got to wash that just about every day for the first, um, for the first uh, couple of weeks. So like I said, by opening the lid, taking the cheese out, you're getting rid of any um, build-up of carbon dioxide or whatever in the ripening box and you're letting new oxygen in there and then the moulds will, um, will breed using that oxygen there. So you're not actually excluding oxygen out because you're turning regularly. Anyway, Phil, hopefully that answers your question and sets you on the right track. Right, the next question is from Robin. Hi, Gavin. It's Rob Goodhand speaking from New Brunswick, Canada. I've made my very first cheese uh, recently, and it's the Buterkäse. It looks great so far, and it's now uh, in its uh, just finishing its first week of aging, and it's uh, vacuum sealed. But I did notice that there's a little bit of liquid, a little bit of um, whey that's uh, surrounding uh, just a tiny bit that's around the edges of it. I'm wondering if you would recommend that I cut it open, that I cut open the bag, and then uh, dry it again, wipe it down, and then reseal it in a different um, uh, vacuum seal bag, and then let it continue on its way to aging. Anyway, um, either that or I'll just leave it and wait for the next uh, three weeks to go by, and then we'll test it. Uh, thanks for your uh, voicemail, Robin, first of all. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it. A little bit of whey, um, because you're um, putting the cheese under pressure or negative pressure using a vacuum packer, then uh, it does pull a little bit of moisture out and uh, a little bit of moisture gets in the creases of the plastic. Um, nothing to worry about, especially for a young cheese like Budakaza. Uh, you won't have any issues at all. 
Now, if you recently saw my not-so-provolone picante um, cheese that I released on uh, the 2nd of July, you would have seen that bag um, during the taste test, the vacuum pack bag it was in, was absolutely full of whey. The vacuum pressure had sucked out so much whey out of the cheese uh, because it was a pasta filata cheese, um, it was shouldn't have been vacuum-packed. Um, but I just didn't know what to do with it at the time. So I vacuum-packed it and forgot about it, left it at the back of the cheese fridge for a year. So what happened, there must have been about, oh, I would say, a litre of whey that was trapped in the bag. So just a little bit like you're describing, I don't think that'll be an issue at all uh, because that uh, not-so-provolone picante turned out very well and nice and tasty. Probably not the same texture uh, and flavour that it's supposed to be, but uh, I tell you what, it's one heck of a cheese. It's got a strong kick to it. So I don't think a little bit of whey would, uh, would worry your Budokaiser. Anyway, hopefully that answers your question. So the next question is uh, from Ahmed. I think it's actually congratulations. I'll just uh, uh, play that now. Hi, Gavin. This is Ahmed from Montreal, Canada. Congratulations for your achievement. I'm really happy for you, man. So keep on uh, going and uh, let us uh, see more and more. Uh, so uh, congratulations again. Ahmed from Montreal. Bye-bye. Thanks, Ahmed. Appreciate it. I think Mohamed's re- referring to the uh, recent uh, milestone I got on uh, my YouTube channel, cheeseman.tv, of 100,000 subscribers. So... Yeah, that was it was a good achievement and a great feeling of satisfaction that I'd reached um, the eyeballs anyway of that many people, unlike the ears of yours. <laughs> anyway, uh, last question. This is from Dennis. Hi, Gavin. Dennis speaking from Maryborough in Queensland. Gavin, I make two kinds of cheeses. I make the cheddar and the Jarlsberg. The Jarlsberg turns out absolutely wonderful, but the cheddar always seems to be a bit crumbly. Is there any way I can um, do something to get the cheddar to have the same consistency as the Jarlsberg? The Jarlsberg is beautiful and uh, soft, creamy, um, firm, uh, without any crumbliness whatsoever. But the uh, cheddar is sometimes extremely crumbly, other times slightly crumbly. Is there anything I can do to get rid of the crumble? Thank you. Uh, Dennis, uh, thank you very much for your question. There's a couple of things I can think of. So the first one would be to half the cheddaring time. So when you're making cheddar, you know, you've got those steps, you cheddar over an hour and that is what makes the texture of the cheddar. So it makes the cheddar either crumbly or drier or, or moister. So halve the cheddaring time that you normally do and you will find that your cheddar cheese will be less crumbly. Another suggestion I've got is switch over to a different recipe that I've got, which is Colby. Now, Colby does taste fairly similar to cheddar, but it has the lovely smooth texture like Jarlsberg does. So it is a wash curd cheese, um, uh, Colby is, 
um, similar to what Yalesburg is, but it doesn't have the eyes. It doesn't have the eye formation. So you'll find that it ha- does have like a, a cheddary flavour, a young cheddary flavour to it, but it has a, a better consistency and rarely is Colby crumbly. So check out my um, Colby video. I think the Colby recipe is actually in the first edition of Keep Calm and Eat Cheese. So if you've bought that uh, ebook, you'll have the recipe in there. Um, I think it might even be, oh, I'm not sure. No, it's not on um, littlegreencheese.com because I put it into the book. So hopefully that answers your question, Dennis, and uh, you uh, get some value from that and you can work through and, and make a cheese similar to your Yarlsberg but without the eyes and no crumbliness. Um, thanks again. Okay, that's all we got time for this week. Uh, don't forget that if you are in the need for any cheesemaking supplies, then pop over to littlegreenworkshops.com.au. Uh, we have a big cheese section there with a lot of uh, ingredients, supplies and kits uh, for all your cheesemaking needs. And we do ship globally, as you heard um, from uh, both Phil and Robin, have uh, both ordered stuff and received it over there in the US and in Canada. So pop over to littlegreenworkshops.com.au and uh, you'll see the cheese making section. Uh, there's also a link to it at littlegreencheese.com where this podcast has its show notes. So you can check that out as well. Now, don't forget that you can also pick up some T-shirts, cups, mugs, all that sort of stuff um, over at my merch store. There's a link to that also at littlegreencheese.com. You've been listening to Little Green Cheese Podcast. You can pick up my ebook, Keep Calm and Make Cheese, The Beginner's Guide to Cheese Making at Home, at all good ebook retailers, including Amazon and Apple iBook Store. You can also pick up a PDF copy over at littlegreenworkshops.com.au. Now, you can see all of my video tutorials if you go over to cheeseman.com. TV. Thanks for listening, Curd Nerds, and I'll see you again or listen to you. You can listen to me, that's better, uh, in the next exciting podcast episode. You've been listening to Kev- music by Kevin McLeod. I played Malt Shop Bop, Call to the Dairy Cows, and News Theme.